Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. I'm your host, Will Francis, and in this episode, you'll be hearing hand-picked highlights from our recent webinar about ChatGPT and GPT-3, in which digital transformation expert Clark Boyd and SEO expert Danny Richman both gave us some great insight along with some tips, tricks, and tools to try. And throughout... Um, you will hear reference to some of these tools, particularly ones that Danny built himself. They're very easy to use and very effective for SEO. And we've linked to those in the show notes. I would encourage you to go and check them out. Um, even if you're completely non-technical, you should be able to uh, use them in your work. Um, anyway, just as a bit of background, ChatGPT is a computer program developed by OpenAI that can understand and generate human-like responses to natural language input. It's based on a type of deep learning model called GPT and has been trained on very large amounts of text data to generate responses to a wide range of topics. It can be used for natural language processing, chatbots and text-based AI assistance. And yes, I did ask ChatGPT to write that definition of ChatGPT. Anyway, let's hear all about what ChatGPT is, how it works and how we can use it in our digital marketing. Quite a few people are asking about problems with accuracy. What would you say about that? Yeah, so it, it has been a much bigger issue up until quite recently um, mm. because you had this problem where uh, GPT-3 had this kind of uh, corpus of training data, which you know gathered from the web from all these different sources. And so it was generating responses based on that information. Um, the thing is, once you start playing around with it, you, you soon you're able to see that uh, GPT-3, even though it does sometimes give inaccurate information, it knows when it's giving inaccurate information. It does have an understanding of where it's not certain about something. And so the latest developments, what we're now seeing is where it's coming back with a response where it isn't quite certain or it realizes that that information may not be current. Mm. It's then pulling that information from the web and then generating a response based on that live information from the web. So I think that whole issue around accuracy, I mean, you know, will it ever be 100% perfect? I don't know. But then, so yeah, I th you know, there always may be some accuracy um, issue to some degree, but I think we're going to see in a very short space of time um, that almost becoming a non-issue. Okay, so what about copyright? Like if the training data for these tools is previous content that was someone's content, right? Where do we stand when we create sort of new content with something like ChatGPT? Yeah, that's an intriguing one. Yeah, because I saw it was Adi mentioned as well, you know, the recent win for Hermes, a legal victory over a digital artist who'd used one of their products to create an NFT that then generated a large income. So there is that question of whether you know, the legal industry is able to keep pace with this level of, of change that's going around. There are actually quite a few lawsuits going in against OpenAI at the minute and escapes me at the moment. I think it might be stable diffusion. There is now an opt-out option for artists. So you can say, I do not permit for my my artworks to be used within your your algorithms. So there might be a bit more of that sense of, of control in, in future, opting out of being part of the training corpus in the first place. But that doesn't seem all that useful in the long term because if everybody did that, there'd be, there'd be nothing left for them to use. So there were questions as well I saw about, well, could you just create a product using this and start selling it? And 
Yes, I mean, that is what a lot of these people are already doing because there is no sense of any new legal framework in place. There's nothing new to, I mean, that's that's really what OpenAI is trying to ask people to do. Stable Diffusion is saying, yep, make a copy of our code and go and, go and amend it to whatever you want to do. So there isn't really a sense at the moment that these things are, are, say, a big danger if you wanted to make a service and start selling it. I think that's always going to be fine. The other one is more about the, the underlying data ownership or the product ownership if you have, say, submitted artworks or it's taken it's taken your style of writing and someone then says, write me a novel in the style of whoever, and then they go and publish the novel and they make a million pounds off it because it's actually done better than the original one. That's another case. So I think we can separate it out. There are tools using the APIs, using the frameworks. Those are pretty much what are already making tens of millions of dollars a month for a lot of companies. And then there's the other copyright issue around IP, essentially, or, or the intellectual property you would have as a content creator. That's the murkier bit. And there are already some pretty big cases going into the courts as we stand. So I don't know what will happen with those, but it looks like OpenAI might actually have to pay out on some of those. And Stable Diffusion is allowing people to opt out of its algorithms. And what about search engine rankings? Do you think, Danny, that Google and its counterparts will detect and punish generated text articles? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, as I said at the kind of the beginning of my slides, I've not personally found this technology um, to be quite good enough yet for producing long form content. That for me is not its core strength. Um, in terms of SEO, um, it's been a real mixed bag from Google because. Um, on the one hand, they're saying don't produce whole articles generated by AI. Um, on the other hand, they're saying we we have no problem with people producing content um, produced with AI. We don't care how it's produced. All we care about is the quality of the content. And I, and I think that that's probably actually the, in the middle of all of that, there's kind of the best response, which is absolutely feel free. Uh, and I do use this as a tool, as a first draft tool. Uh, and to generate kind of uh, an outline and a structure for content, really, really useful for doing that kind of thing. Um, but then it absolutely needs a human touch to then go over that, refine it, improve it, uh, make sure it's completely accurate um, in all these areas. But as a writing tool, it's absolutely fine. Just to leave it churning out automatically thousands of pages, I would not advise doing that. I would add that as well, Danny. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I've written a bit about that because it gets it gets a bit murky sometimes because if I use it sometimes I'll write a whole article and then I'll say actually could there be a different structure to this and ChatGPT will say you could add these headings and that might be helpful and you know the the authorship then is a little bit murkier you know that it's getting involved and it, I can even say rephrase these three sentences and it'll do it and it'll do it pretty well I might just use those sentences so what it's 70% my work 30% ChatGPT but the big part of this of course is we don't think that often about the audience. So if you could churn out this content and Google wouldn't penalize you, well, the end reader will. <laughs> They're going to look at it and know that it's it's not good enough. You know, If you wouldn't read this yourself, you shouldn't be pumping it out there for supposedly customers to read at the end of it. And that's the bit where I think Google is right not to get too weighed, weighed down in. Is it AI? Is it human? Whatever. A lot of the human content out there is is pretty awful. The AI can do that that pretty well. Yeah, Google's just ranking on quality and relevance, right? And it's refining based on clicks and dwell time on those results. And so, yeah, useful content wins and that's it. Yeah. So if, if you think, if, if ChatGPT was creating content that you thought, oh, this is fantastic, but I better edit it a bit 
just so I don't get penalized by Google. That's not really the way to go go about it. If you really think it's almost like a classic sort of smell test, if, if it is, gets to the stage where it's good enough, and that'll be a while away, I don't see how it would be able to do that straight away, then, then fine. You could pump out that content. If you're not penalized by Google, you'll be penalized by your readers, and then Google will penalize you after because it'll see that the people didn't like it. Yeah, I really liked your point, Danny, about how this is not just a lazy copywriting hack. It's currently not the best copywriter on the planet by far, and it's actually really good at lots of other types of jobs, which can be very hard or laborious for us. The, the only thing I would say to that, Will, is that, you know, I mean, I've been involved in tech now for 45 years, and I've kind of and I've gone through every stage of tech from the first ever personal computers, the internet, the, the mobile phone. I have never seen anything move as quickly as this. Um, mm. I mean, I am giving a lot of talks and, and presentations at the moment, and people are asking me to submit my slide deck like a week or two before the event. Um, it, it's completely pointless because it's out of date. Um, I can guarantee it's going to be out of date. This is changing by the day. And so when Clark says it may be a little while before we're going to get this tech producing high-quality content, when he says a little while, you might mean a month. I know. I know because I noticed, Danny, I saw your, we were, you know, we've had iterations of our slides and saw the first version of yours two weeks ago and you had mocked up you know, the Google homepage, 2027, best laptops. <laughs> it could be the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, a week later, and that's the reality. Yeah. Does this pull the rug from under things like Jasper and copy.ai? Interesting with that because we see Microsoft saying that they're going to release tools and Google as well to allow developers to get a bit more hands-on with the models and train them to their own purposes. And that might allow those companies then to create that, that moat that we like to talk about. So at the minute, if you if you really wanted to create a copy of copy.ai, you'd be able to do it. And that's what venture capital money is going into at the minute. So startups are incentivized to try and create something similar. Problem is, in six months' time, six weeks, even six days at the minute, the rug could be pulled from under them. What they'll be looking at is, are we going to be able to adapt this so that it becomes something unique to us, even that they could register as their own IP, and then it becomes the Jasper framework built on top of OpenAI, built on top of Google's Lambda. That'll be more interesting for them. So there was, there were, there were I should say, a few, a few crumbs from the table yesterday from Microsoft in saying they will open this up to developers and you'll be able to train this for yourself. Now, I still think, other companies, individual companies could just train their own version that would be adapted to their very own purposes. You know, it's going to be built into Microsoft Azure. So why wouldn't you, if you're even a medium-sized company, and you know, I'm no great programmer or coder. Danny was talking about how you can get ChatGPT to or GPT-3 to write the, the queries for you. I've been doing that myself for a lot of programs. It doesn't seem that the the barrier to entry is going to be so high that companies couldn't just generate their own versions of these tools as well. So there's a real rush. I think there are a lot of companies that are very highly valued at the minute because they're in the right place at the right time that will disappear in six months. They just won't be valid anymore. They need to build that. that we like to call it a, a moat in our business school talk. <laughs> okay. So in terms of adding this to our marketing toolkit, is getting good at prompting these kind of tools writing effective prompts something every marketer needs to learn to be good at i think it's quite likely yeah um yeah i mean i have to say that's one of the areas that i find really enjoyable about using this technology um that process of constructing a prompt 
is is a kind of a mix of logic and creativity. I think kind of Clark touched on that. It's, it's an art and a science. And just noticing how the results you get can vary so much depending on very careful selection of words that you put into these prompts um, is a really, I find, a very creative process. Um, I've really enjoyed that. Um, and it's something you get better and better at over time. And I think, yes, it is going to very likely be a skill that many people will start having to uh, get to grips with. And, and there'll be people that are good at that and people that are less good at that. Less good at that. And I think a, a way just to get into it, and Danny touched on this as well, is understanding those fundamental mechanics that are going on here. What is it that the tool is doing in the background and how could you adapt that to your own means? So I put together this little chatbot yesterday just to demonstrate what this can do for someone. And I put it on just a staging website I have for something I'm going to put out soon. And when, within every page, it's making calls to the OpenAI API and it encourages you to ask questions. And all I've done within the API call is append some different things. So the person could come in and say, oh, how do I explain broad match versus exact match? But I've just put a little bit at the end of it that says, explain this using an analogy. You are a, a seasoned digital marketing expert explaining this to a novice. So the person doesn't see that. They're just saying, what's keyword research? But the prompt that's going is saying, make sure you use an analogy, keep it simple. And just understanding those little building blocks doesn't take a huge amount of time, but it puts you way ahead because it looks like magic when people go to use it. And that's what this has put into our hands. But you do just need to get a little bit hands-on with some of that. There are some good resources you can look at that will explain to you how it all works. Build your first thing, and I'm sure Danny would, would agree with this, getting hands-on, realizing what's possible for yourself will just open lots more avenues to explore. Now, a few people have asked about the risks, letting this kind of tech loose on your website. Have you noticed any worrying responses in your website, Bot? Oh, yeah. Look, the, the main thing that I want, to do before, because it's really just as a little help assistant I want to have within the website, is figure out the best ways to train it on my own examples and ways of thinking and put restrictions on it so there are, there are things that it won't talk about. Because the, the use case that I wanted to do is, is pretty clear, trying to teach people about digital marketing here. So you, you could at the minute ask it about, you know, did the moon landings happen or whatever? And it would chat to you about that using an analogy as if it's a digital marketing expert. That's not really what I wanted to do. But you can confine those things quite easily. And there are a lot more capabilities coming to us that will allow us to train it on our own corpus of materials. So I have loads of digital marketing examples, loads of uh, ways of explaining things and everything. So just teach it, these are the kinds of things to do. It'll create something new, but similar and it won't talk about those other things because like people are mentioning if I were running say a legal website or something really important like that not just you know, my own little chatbot for digital marketing I would want to be very 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 careful with that first and I would want it to do a lot of testing before it went out in the wild yeah Danny you showed us a really nice use of this technology in a form on your WordPress website which offers dinner recipe suggestions based on what's in the fridge so tell us more about that. And again, we'll link to that in the podcast episode show notes for everyone. So many people have a WordPress website. And if you do have a WordPress website, there's a very good chance you've got a Gravity Forms plugin because it's one of the most popular Forms plugins for WordPress. Um, a little while ago, they released uh, an add-on for Gravity Forms, um, which allows you to make an open AI uh, or a GPT-3 request, API request from the form. 
Um, but they've really kind of made it so easy for people because you don't really need to know anything about the technicalities behind it. Um, all it does is takes a field from the form so you can design any form you want. So in my form, in the example I showed in the deck before, um, it was a field with only one, a form with only one field on it, which was my wife enters the ingredients that we've got in the fridge. You know, um, that then gets submitted over to GPT-3 in an API call together with a prompt that says, did generate a low carb recipe with the following ingredients. And then you take the value of that field that, that she enters and it sends it over and then sends a response. And then when the response comes back, you can then choose what you want to do with that. You can then have it displayed underneath the form on a different page, used in a, a post or another page. You can send it wherever you want. Um, but it's really, really easy to use. And that add-on, the OpenAI add-on, is completely free if you've already got Gravity Forms. Well, that's the real big leap that's been made recently. You know, the tech itself has been around for a while, but it's the ease with which we can implement it through OpenAI's integrations or API and of course, most famously, ChatGPT, like anyone can leverage this without touching a line of code. But, you know, like Clark was mentioning before, he's trying to create this chatbot, this digital marketing expert chatbot. You know, you could have done that with that gravity form and just had a form as the chatbot. You would never have had to have used any code at all to create that. Um, I don't know whether you did need any code, but you could have done that just using a gravity form, get the response back. They ask a question. That would be one application. But just think of all the different tools and fun apps that you could build on a website that would then drive traffic into that website. So many applications. It's only limited by your imagination. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. People are asking how this will affect advertising, like how will it affect ad copywriting and what happens if everyone's copy is written using the same kind of tools? Well, one of the big bits, this, this actually reminds me, even though what's happening is a bit different, the underlying pattern is similar to when when Google moved to these Pmax campaigns, actually, or when it moved to universal app campaigns a few years ago, and we were asking the same questions. So we're, we're all using the exact same technology in the middle bit. What's going to be the difference? Well, the difference is going to be things like your brand. It's going to be the inputs that you put into the machine to allow it to do something. It's never going to be completely automated. You know, it isn't going to just market on behalf of every brand as one simple machine. It's going to need inputs. It's going to have to be trained on things. It's going to be using, I mean, it's a language model, large language model. It's going to go out there and see what's written about you and adapt itself to that as well as what you're feeding into it. So just like it had happened with universal app campaigns and then Pmax campaigns, a lot of people and thereby by extension companies got a bit lazy because they thought, well, the machine's doing it all. It's all automated. We just need to hit the big button and hope for the best. But the ones who got the best results really started thinking about the creative assets that they were putting into the machine at the start, and they found that the outputs were much more effective. So again, we need to break it down a bit and see where are we having our own input? There will be a lot of parts there, and that's where we have leverage over the results. So the way that it affects online advertising could be the fundamental mechanics of it from the customer's point of view in that they can interact 
more directly. They can have an adaptive experience. They can converse a bit more. There'll be new content fed back to them. That means that the monetization model is different. So if you're Google search, you haven't just got static search queries that you can serve up and, and sell to advertisers all the time. That's going to change as well. Um, the way the brands go about it is going to be different. So it really re reorders absolutely everything that we're thinking about here. Yeah. That makes today's setup sound quite quaint. Yeah, it's, I think it will become much more dynamic. It will require new ways of creating and monetizing value. And that's why Google has been reluctant to, to get involved in this. It has a, a pretty amazing profit-making machine at its disposal, and it does not want to give it up. That's very true. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit, I, I found myself feeling a little bit reluctant to make any kind of predictions around what's going to happen in the future around this technology um, because it's just changing too fast, really. And I'm just, I'd make myself look like a fool. Um, the one thing I would say is I don't think anyone gets into digital marketing or SEO because they don't like change. If you did, you made a big mistake. Uh, <laughs> you're in the wrong industry if you don't like change. Um, and as someone that likes change and embraces it and, and loves the fact that there's just always something new to learn that you've got to stay on top of, um, I'm really enjoying the ride. And that's that's what I would recommend to people is, you know, sit tight, hold on and, and enjoy the ride and learn as much as you can uh, and be prepared to change everything about the way you do stuff on a day to day basis. Um, yeah, don't get too stuck in doing things the way you've always done them because um, that's very likely to change. So that's that's what I would say to people in the industry. Well, I won't ask for any predictions because, as you say, that does seem a bit foolish at this point. But where would you suggest that people go to keep up to speed with these topics? For me, it's been uh, Twitter. It's been my main source of learning, follow, following the right kind of people on Twitter. Um, so if you're not sure who to follow, Go and have a look at who I'm following on Twitter. And anyone I've followed within the last year is going to be something to do with AI. Um, but there is also an excellent newsletter that goes out called Ben's Bytes, um, produced by a guy called Ben Tossel. Um, and it's a daily newsletter. So, you know, hats off to him for putting something out every day. But it's just a really easy read. It's just kind of links to all the cool stuff and latest stuff that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis and AI. So check out Ben's Bytes um, and just sign up for his free newsletter. It's a great way to keep abreast of what's going on. Yeah, I have a few free newsletters I follow as well. Even just simple things like getting TLDR in every morning at 11 a.m. will give me the top five things that have happened in the last day. That's a good one to to start with. Um, I definitely curate who you're following on social networks. Twitter is definitely the best one for that, even in its its current guise with things breaking every day. It's still where the interesting people are sharing interesting thoughts. And I just have basic Google alerts set up for things as well. Just try and read what news is coming in. I'm going to get that then integrated with GPT-3. It's going to tell me a little bit more about those stories and summarize them for me and you know, try to build that into a workflow. But yeah, just think about those ways that you can get the news as it happens, because there's so much happens every day. If you try and catch up at the end of the week, what happened on Monday won't even be relevant anymore. I keep getting webinars pushed back because people are like, have you seen what just happened this morning? That's going to change. Let's think about it. And then by the next day, then, oh God, Microsoft's got a new event coming and uh, it's one to keep up with on a daily basis. Indeed, that constant change is absolutely what makes it an opportunity for absolutely anyone who's keen enough to keep learning. Well, that was taken from the Q&A in our recent webinar. But as promised, I had a few other questions to put to Clark and Danny. 
First up, tell us how can people get started with ChatGPT? What's a good starting point? What are some good prompts to try? Well, my advice would be not to play around with ChatGPT, but to go and register an account in the OpenAI website and go and play around with the underlying API. Once you log into the OpenAI website, what you're going to see is an area called the playground. And in the playground, you're going to see many, many different examples that OpenAI provide. You can then tweak those examples, play around with them, adapt them. And you're also going to see a whole load of settings on the right-hand side that you can then adjust and get all kinds of different results coming out. And that's the best way really to learn how this technology works, understand how the underlying API operates, and you'll learn much more through using the playground than you will through playing around with Jack GPT. I would say the first thing we need to do as marketers is try and understand that distinction between ChatGPT as this API wrapper. It's a, a user interface that sits on top of some underlying technology. If we are simply using ChatGPT as that interface, we're going to limit what we're able to do because we'll really just have to copy and paste what we get from it into somewhere else. It won't be embedded in the way that we do things. We can access a lot of the underlying technology there. And I know Danny has some great ideas on how you can do that already. But if you realize that, you realize that you could essentially build your own version of ChatGPT. You could have it built into your website straight away. It really wouldn't take too much. Now, good prompts to try. I still think it's worthwhile playing around with it because it's a very friendly user interface that has taken off very quickly because it does show you some of the inner workings. That's one way of understanding it. In terms of prompts, I would say start small and have something in mind that you're trying to get to. So say you've been challenged to come up with 10 ideas for YouTube videos for the next quarter. Go to ChatGPT and simply start with suggest 10 ideas for YouTube videos for, and then say a little bit about your company. And then start adding modifiers. And that will change the question that you're putting in, but you can also change how it responds. So you could say, go beyond obvious ideas, or my target audience is X. And just play around with that and see how that changes the output that you get. What gets you closer to what you were looking for? Now, that's great because it'll get you hopefully 10 ideas that you can use, but it will also help you understand how the technology functions. So when you do come to using the API, for example, you'll have a better chance of getting the results that you're looking for. Do you guys have any thoughts on what will happen between Bing and Google as they start to integrate this kind of chat GPT or something similar into their search engines? If you go to the Bing subreddit, you can see just how many mistakes their new AI is making already. If Google did that, it would be in big trouble. It made a couple of mistakes in its new release and it wiped $100 billion off the company's market value. It's completely dependent on search. Another thing to say here is not just about the market position of the two companies or even their existing business models, which are radically different. I think first we need to say that Microsoft, sure, it will see search as being important, but it's it's a means to an end for them. It's not an end in itself. It will want to integrate this technology into its cloud computing services so that you can have your own chat GPT that goes with you everywhere. Well, this is going to be a really interesting time for the world of search. Bing and Google are approaching this from very different places. Google depends 
on advertising for 85% of its revenue. And that's going to mean they're going to take a much more cautious approach about how they integrate AI into the search results. They're going to be very, very wary about uh, doing anything that might impact people clicking on their ads. They're going to be more wary about making sure that the AI is giving accurate results. Bing will be approaching this from a very different place because Microsoft only depends on advertising for 5% of its revenue. And so they can take um, a much braver approach to this. Um, they can afford more risk and they can really just focus entirely on providing the best user experience. So it's very hard to see how this is going to pan out at the moment. But what we do know is that the world of search has changed forever. Do you see any specific industries or verticals using ChatGPT or similar tech particularly effectively? Well, customer support is a really obvious area where AI is going to have a big impact. You know, at the moment, if you phone up a company and you go through to customer support or technical support, you're kind of disappointed if you get through to a computer rather than a human agent. Well, I could really see a time where that is reversed, where you're going to be disappointed to speak to the human agent because the computer can be more knowledgeable, more helpful, and be more specific to your needs. Um, again, in sales, I've already been working on a project where I've worked with a company where we fed it a whole load of information about that company's products and services and the benefits of their products. And so when a prospective customer comes along and they describe their business, it can give really helpful, detailed advice to the sales agent to assist that customer in choosing the right product for their needs. In the world of uh, travel and food and beverage, I mean, some of the more obvious applications would be in terms of uh, product recommendations. Um, at the moment, if you go to a website like booking.com, it's a very um, simple interface where you kind of choose your dates and a destination that will list a whole load of hotels. We're going to be able to really give um, some detailed information about the kind of holiday that we're looking for or the kind of restaurant or bar that we want to visit. Or maybe the AI will already know enough about you to make some really strong and relevant recommendations. Another area where I think we're going to see a lot of development is in the world of professional advice. So law and medicine and financial advice, uh, we're going to have bots that are trained uh, and have far more knowledge than their human equivalent. Do you have any thoughts on where issues around data and privacy might be heading? Like, what, what do we need to think about there? Well, there are certainly going to be plenty of interesting legal issues to come out of the use of AI. And I'm certain that IP lawyers are going to be kept very busy for a long time. The whole issue of fair use in copyright is uh, definitely going to be tested to its limits. But anything more detailed than that, I don't really feel qualified to answer as I'm not a lawyer. Um, but it's certainly going to be a very interesting time for the world of IP law. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, look, finally, give me your top three tips, as is customary on the podcast. Um, what can a marketer do right now to both learn how to use ChatGPT or generative AI and just generally keep on top of developments and what's happening? My first tip would be update your social media. I'm finding a huge amount of really interesting information just from Twitter, even though Twitter's not working particularly well at the minute. But Twitter and Reddit and um, a lot of industry blogs, industry news websites, 
checking them quite frequently because there's so much going on at the moment, so many new ideas and innovations out there. So you can have a look at who Danny and I follow for one thing. You can set up Google Alerts as well that might connect you to new people. But it's it's changing every day. There are new people just popping up in my feed that I start following and they've been doing something amazing recently. So have a search, click on who those people follow and just update your feed. That'll keep things coming to you. The second thing, it's not that exciting, but if you really want to get started with this, just read the OpenAI API documentation. It explains in detail exactly what you can use it for. Then you can work through setting up your first API call. And if that sounds daunting, then I understand why that would have in the past, but keep ChatGPT open alongside you. It's what I do as well. If I hit an error, I just copy and paste it into ChatGPT and it tells me how to fix it. So it won't always get it right first time, but it'll help you get there in the end. So second thing, read that API documentation. It's very illuminating and it will help you understand what's possible. Third, focus this on a challenge. If you start by thinking, oh, this technology can do anything, you'll end up doing nothing with it. It just feels daunting. It, it feels like the scope is too great to know where to get started. The way that I've been using it, and as you can see as well, Danny's been doing the same thing, is focus on a very specific task. So I have used it to create interactive marketing personas that I can ask questions of. So I have trained the my version of the API, the, the model, to understand something about the business, to understand what these personas are. And depending on the one I select, I can ask questions. So it can really help with just fleshing out ideas and seeing how they might react to different marketing messaging and so on. Very simple aspect of marketing. But I think if you do the same, look at your daily work and think, where could this speed something up? Where could it get me better results? Anything like that will help you fix your mind. And I guarantee you as soon as you have that you'll find a way to get it done and ChatGPT will help you get there if you hit any roadblocks on the way well my advice would be to have fun play around with this technology play with the api rather than just using uh, chat gpt go and have a look at some scripts that are already available uh, and that you can adapt yourself if you don't know how to code that really doesn't matter you can use gpt3 to uh, write the code for you adapt and tweak the code um, have a look at some of the tools that are coming out some of the ai tools and then go and replicate them or add some features to them and think about um, areas where you have some specialist knowledge that could be applied to these. My advice generally would be to think much less about how to make money from this technology or how you can use it in your career. Just go and have some fun and play around with this as if it's a new tool. I've recently created a little app that generates recipes for my wife. It has no commercial value whatsoever, but I learned a great deal just through creating that app and it didn't require any coding at all. It was all just done with a WordPress plugin. So have fun would be my best advice. Well, thanks so much to Clark and Danny there. Remember to check the show notes for this episode as there are a few links for the various tools and resources that we mentioned in, in the webinar and in the episode in general. Look, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and help more marketers up their game, the best things to do are leave a review on Apple Podcasts or even better, tell just one person about the show. Word of mouth is still a very powerful channel when it comes to podcast growth and we'd really appreciate that. Thanks again. Goodbye. <laughs>